are 50 plus years later, and he's still edifying the church. Now, a couple of disclaimers whenever you do a book study is, number one, there's only one inspired book, and it's God's Word. It's the Bible, and so we're going to read it like Bereans. There's going to be things that we won't necessarily agree with. He doesn't necessarily come from our camp in every respect, and that's okay, right, that we can read it. We can process it with the Word of God, but we're going to take it not as if it's inspired, but simply that it's a man who had a deep faith in Christ, walked with Christ for over 50 years, and God put this book on his heart. And so I think it can encourage and, and inspire us. Also, I love the way, I don't know, some of you may in the past have, have gone through John's reading groups, and we would read Calvin and Luther and Aquinas and the Apostolic Fathers and Chesterton and all the greats. And he would always start the reading group of every book by saying that not any of these men would sign the doctrinal statement at Dania Community Church. So, so what does that mean, right? And it just means that we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? That these men had deep love for Christ and though there may be elements of their belief that we would disagree with, that we would take as it's not going to be in anything core or foundational. And we'll just simply process through things that we disagree, but we get educated by understanding other people's views. And it simply helps us understand our own and we're the better for it. And so that those are kind of just a couple of disclaimers that I'll, that I'll toss out there. So the schedule is going to be tonight, I'm just kind of do a little bit of an introduction of the author little bit of an overview of the book and kind of what we're going to do with the series. This is going to be the schedule that next week we already had uh, Greg Travis, who was queued up to teach. And, and if, if for those of you that heard him preach a number of weeks ago, he's just unbelievably gifted as a, as a teacher of the word of God. And so we didn't want to disrupt what we had already asked him to do. So next week we will not be in Tozer on Thursday night. But Travis is, uh, Greg Travis is actually going to be teaching us. We're certainly not going to step away from our monthly prayers because prayer is just too important. So on the 30th, we'll still be doing our prayer and worship. But then starting the 6th of August, we're going to basically spend the next three weeks studying Tozer's book. And so we'll ask you to read chapters one through four and be prepared on the 6th to come and hear and then talk about it. And then uh, chapters five through seven, and then chapters eight through 10 and wrap up. So it'll basically be a three week book study that we'll do of this, of this book. And then we'll close out on the 27th with prayer. Once again, the format will be roughly 30 minutes of teaching and I'll generally be doing that. Excuse me. <clears throat> It's terrible when you get something in your throat and you're the one speaking. <clears throat> and then we'll do breakout rooms and, and we'll try to put everybody in rooms of six or eight or 10. We'll have a designated facilitator so the rooms don't just, if, if it goes crickets that somebody can kind of move it along, we'll probably have some discussion questions. But it's simply an opportunity for us to be able to engage in the book within a smaller context because that's oftentimes when we're more open to ask questions or share is when it's not 50 people, it's 10. And so that will kind of be the, the format. The beauty of studying pursuit of God is it's free. 
So we don't have to buy the book as a church. You don't have to buy it as an individual. We'll put these links on WhatsApp, but it's a free resource. And so there's a number of different places that you can download the book if you want to read it. It's also available for free on Audible if you would prefer to listen to it. And then so, again, it's a pretty easy book to get a hold of. It's not a really, really long book. And so it shouldn't take shouldn't be too much of a high hard to uh, to consume it. So now we're going to dive into uh, a little bit of a bio of Tozer. And I'm going to pull up my notes here. All right. So this is uh, this is A.W. Tozer. And he was born in, let me see, I've got things covered in the slide here. He was born in 1897. He was born in Newburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, at the age of 10, his, uh, the family home that he grew up in burned down. And his entire family lost uh, just about 100% of their possessions. And so hard things early in life. But at the age of 15, his older brother had moved away to take a job in Akron, Ohio, and so Tozer joined the rest of his family and they moved to Akron, Ohio, and he took a job at the Goodyear Rubber Company. He was making tires. And just before his 17th birthday, he was walking home from work and he heard a street preacher. No relationship to the preacher, had never seen him before. He just heard the gentleman preaching. And the preacher said this. He said, if you don't know how to be saved, just call on God saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and God will hear you. And that sank deeply in Tozer's heart. And he went home and he followed the street preacher's advice and he cried out to God and he was saved. And that began this 50 plus year walk with Jesus. He started attending a church called Grace Methodist Episcopal Church. And there was a woman, a Sunday school teacher in that church who kind of took him in and just started teaching him the Bible. Well, it turns out through these teachings that he fell in love with her daughter, married her daughter, and they were married for over 45 years, and they had six boys and one girl in their marriage together. And so again, you just never know how God, how God works. Interesting thing about Tozer, he never graduated high school. He never attended college, and he never had a seminary degree, but he started pastoring a small church in rural West Virginia in 1919 at the age of 22. So here's a 22-year-old young man who had basically been discipled for just a small number of years, never formally educated, but he just heard the call of the full-time ministry. And he moves to rural West Virginia, takes on a small church, and he just starts preaching and praying. And therein began the ministry. That ministry would last over 44 years of pastoring multiple churches until his death in 1963. At the age of 31, he moved with his family from Indianapolis to Chicago, where he accepted the call to join a church called Southside Alliance Church in 1928. And here's a quote from a good friend of his who actually was the one to introduce their new pastor, A.W. Tozer, at Southside Alliance Church. And he said this, he, meaning Tozer, said very little and I didn't expect much. He was slight with plenty of black hair and certainly not a fashion plate, as we say. He wore a black tie about one and a quarter inches in width. His shoes were even then outmoded, high tops with hooks partway up. I introduced him and left the platform. 
He said nothing about being pleased to be there or any other pat phrases usually given on such occasions, but he simply introduced his sermon topic, which was God's Westminster Abbey, based on the 11th chapter of Hebrews. So introduced as this relatively young man to this church of 80 at the time, and he just stepped in and started teaching the word of God. At the time when he started, they had about 80 folks within this church. By 1941, about 13 years later, they had constructed a building that seated 800 worshipers in a service, which again, at that time, it's a pretty big church. In fact, many felt that there were two large, I guess at that time, mega churches in the city of Chicago. One was Moody Memorial Church by Harry Ironside, and the other was Tozer and Southside Alliance. And they actually did some ministry together. So there was the unity of the body between those two churches. And in fact, one of Tozer's greatest delights was doing ministry to the local Bible colleges and the students therein, that he just always found time to invest in the next generation's preachers because he, he, knew, he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were scared of. He knew what they didn't know. And he just felt a passion to invest in, in these young men. As a voracious reader, he would read a ton, but everything he would read, he would stop and he would meditate. And he was quoted as, as saying this, and I thought John would appreciate this. He said, you should think 10x more than you read. And he had this quote that said, the best book was one that starts the reader on a train of thought and then bows out its work finished. That largely a book is just meant to engage the mind and the soul. And then the actual work that God's going to do through that book takes place outside of the pages of that book. It simply starts the process, which I thought was pretty neat. They say that he was an absolute passionate prayer warrior um, that he would quote, quoted as saying as a man prays, so he is. And so worshiping God, affections for God were paramount in his life in, in ministry. And it said in his daily walk in ministry, Tozer had a, a sense that God had just enveloped him in reverence and, and adoration. That his one daily exercise was the practice of the presence of God, that he just wanted to spend a lot of time with his heavenly father. And one of the common themes that Tozer would consistently teach on and preach on every chance he got is the worldliness of the church, that he was deeply concerned in the season of his life, which again was in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And he was concerned in that season of time with the worldliness of the church. And you can only imagine his perspective of the world that we live, live in that is dominated by marketing and advertising and, and digital. And it's hard to look anywhere and not having someone selling me something and telling me I deserve it and telling me my life should be comfortable and it should be convenient. And so even back then, Tozer was just deeply concerned about the comfort level of the church and people losing their affection for Christ. He was concerned with the holiness of God and was more concerned about pleasing God than he was pleasing people. In fact, they said that even though he had, had a great sense of humor, he's kind of a dry wit, they said that he was often asking forgiveness because when he saw people being pompous or pretense or just when he felt like they were missing the point, he just couldn't help calling them out on it. But then he would feel bad 
And then he would have to go to them and apologize for calling them out on it. But it just, God had put this conviction that for the church to be almost like Keith Green type spirit is the sense that I got that he just, he just wanted to call the church to take God seriously. And, and, and some things about God aren't just a laughing matter, that there's a sobriety to reverence and the holiness of God, but there's this affection that should come out of our study of the word of God. And again, no high school diploma, no college, no seminary. And over his lifetime, he authored over 35 books, including two most well-known. The one is The Knowledge of the Holy, and the other is the one that we're going to read together, which is The Holy, uh, which is The Pursuit of God. He moved out of Chicago to Toronto, Canada in 1959 at the age of 62, where he pastored Avenue Road Church, and that was ultimately his final call to ministry and the final church that he uh, pastored. Now, one thing that, that is, is commonly written about Tozer is like a lot of men, well, like every man that God uses in a great way, whether it's men like David, whether it's men like Abraham, whether it's or in modern times, these men that God uses, or these women that God uses to do these incredible things for him, they're just not perfect men and women, right? That they had issues, they had struggles. So one of the things that was a struggle with Tozer is he was often criticized for letting his, his passion and his work and his ministry for God interfere with his time with his wife and his children. And in fact, there were those that even accused him of just almost spiritually abandoning his children because he was so focused on his work with the church and with ministry that he just, he struggled to be the husband and the father that he felt like he should be and that others within his family felt that he should be. And so that was just a struggle to balance that, that tension in his life. Towards the end of his ministry, he requested uh, this prayer of his congregation. He said, pray for me in light of the pressures of the times. Pray that I will not just come to a wearied end, an exhausted, tired old preacher, interested only in hunting a place to roost. Pray that I will be willing to let my Christian experience and Christian standards cost me something right down to my last gasp. And it was this idea of just he so desired to finish well, to not let weariness of, of his physical body manifest itself in a weariness of spirit or in a laziness of affection that in some way he would um, lose strength in his call in ministry. At the end of his life, again, his passion was for, for the presence of God and he would exhort the body to spend time with God in prayer. And so this was a quote of his. He said, I have found God to be cordial and generous and in every way easy to live with. And for only 50, almost 50 years, Tozier lived with God. Um, on May 12, 1963, A.W. Tozer's earthly labors ended as he died of a heart attack at the age of 66. And his faith in God's majesty became sight at his funeral. His only daughter, Becky, was quoted as saying, I just can't feel sad. I know dad's happy. He's lived for this his whole life. And I thought, well, that, that's, a, that's a pretty awesome epitaph. And in fact, the epitaph on his tombstone, as you can see in the slide, just simply says, A.W. Tozer, a man of God. And uh, what more could we possibly have said about, uh, about our life, right, and, and the reason that we would live? I want to read a few um, in the book at the end. It has some of his 
more poignant quotes. And much like C.S. Lewis, there were a lot of, of folks within the church through the years that just felt like Tozer was seeing society and seeing the world and seeing the church go years in advance of where it did go. But it was often wondered, you know, if you've ever read anything about C.S. Lewis and where he said the education system would go. And it's kind of exactly where it went. And so I want to read a few of these of these quotes. So Tozer said, a new Decalogue has been adopted by some of our day, the first of which reads, thou shalt not disagree. And again, this was written, I believe, in the 40s. He says, and a new set of Beatitudes, too, which begins, blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be made accountable for anything. It is now the accepted thing to talk over religious differences in public with the understanding that no one will try to convert another or point out errors in his belief. Imagine Moses to take part in a panel discussion with Israel over the golden calf, or Elijah engaging in a gentlemanly dialogue with the prophets of Baal, or try to picture Jesus seeking a meeting of minds with the Pharisees to iron out differences. The blessing of God is promised to the peacemaker, but the religious negotiator had better watch his step. Darkness and light can never be brought together by talk. Some things are non-negotiable. And again, we seem to live in a world where tolerance is elevated above truth, which can be a very, very dangerous thing. He had another quote that said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. And again, it was this sense that the church had lost their call, that they had lost their, their sense of purpose. It says, it is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction is God. That, you know, again, there's, often been in a modern age where the church can be about, and, and I know John's made this comment, that Dina will never have lights and shiny noises and, you know, smoke that he walks through as he enters the stage. It's always going to be about God. God is always going to be the hero. Jesus is always going to be the center of attention. And it's never going, we're never going to lose it in the pizzazz or the motion or the excitement of the affair and even then, that was Tozer's heart. That was his conviction as the church was losing its anchor. He said this, he said, I believe that entertainment and amusements are the work of the enemy to keep dying men from knowing they're dying and to keep, one, to keep enemies of God from remembering that they're enemies. That again, and, and of course, this was back in the age where no internet, probably four channels. It's nothing like it is today, but largely how much does digital content? And uh, it, it simply numbs the soul. And people don't ever meditate on eternal matters because they're too busy being entertained. And this is the culture that we live in and certainly the culture that my kids and our kids are going to grow up in, if not even more so. And so how do we awaken the soul? to take mortality, to take eternity, and to take Christ seriously. So if you can't tell, um, I'm a little bit excited about uh, the pursuit of God and about this book. 
Um, I wanted to give you a sense, and I'm going to see if I can if I can pull this off. But because he was preaching in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, there's actually a number of his sermons that are available. Not so much the video, but the audio that you can go to YouTube and you're going to hear it. And so I'm going to attempt to play it, and and you'll just have to nod with me if you're hearing the audio because I don't I don't know if you're actually going to hear it or not. But let me see if this will uh, let me see if this will work. Uh, you know what? It's not even playing audio on my end. So no, it won't. Shoot. Well, if you want to just get a sense, and the reason I wanted to show it, I was going to only going to play about 60 seconds of it. But it just, this, this is a real man, right? This is a real gentleman who was called at a very young age to follow Christ. And he did it his whole life. And, uh, and so there's opportunities to go hear him preach. But again, as God inspired him to write these books, though the books aren't inspired, his content is is aligns with Scripture, and it aligns with this with with this this cry he had for us to deeply love our Savior. I want to read just a couple of quotes from the preface that you'll see when you buy the book. But the first one he says, "Sound Bible exposition." is an imperative must in the church of the living God. Without it, no church can be a New Testament church in any strict meaning of that term. But exposition may be carried on in such a way as to leave the hearers devoid of any true spiritual nourishment whatsoever. For it is not the mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring God, to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their being, their spirit. And he quoted as saying, it is a solemn thing and no small scandal in the kingdom to see God's children starving while actually seated at the Father's table, that we should love Christ more after every minute we spend in his word and after every moment we spend in prayer. And it should stir the affections. And it, it, it really has for me. It's really stirred my affections in a deep way for Christ. And so God has used this book over the past several months powerfully in my, in my walk. So, this is kind of the table of contents. There's there's 10 chapters. And again, that just in the sense of the title may not mean a lot, but we're going to take three to four chapters each week. And I'll kind of spend, again, maybe 25, 30 minutes giving you some excerpts from each chapter and giving some summation of it. And then we'll uh, break off in groups and, and have the opportunity to to dialogue about it. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. And I'll close with, there's so many great, he was just very gifted in wordsmithing, but he said to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religious, religionist, but justified and happy experience by the children of the burning heart that we point back to a time when we were saved. And oftentimes I think we lament that it was in the early years of our walk with Christ where we had the greatest affection, 
but sometimes something can happen, right? We, we wane in that affection that we look back and we're never quite as zealous as we were when we first came to realize that our sins could be forgiven and that Jesus was that good. And I think it's this hearkening back to remember your Savior, remember your God, fall back in love with him, and let that be the fire that then fuels the ministry that we would have at Dini Community Church. So, um, yeah. So let me stop, share. And uh, by the way, I, I am curious, um, and, and I'm going to go ahead and take myself off. Let's see if I can. Jeremy, can you take me off profile video? Oh, there it is. All right. I'm curious, and Jeremy, if you wouldn't mind just kind of unmuting everybody, but has anybody read The Pursuit of God? I'm curious to know if, if anybody in the, in the body has, has already read the book. I see, I see John's hand <laughs> and Alan's hand. Um, and how long has it been, John and Alan, since, you, since you've read it? Last time I read it was about a year ago, and I think it was my third time through. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I found a co-teacher. Yeah. <laughs> a profound book. John told me about it the first time, and I, I don't know when that was. It would have been some time ago. And uh, Yeah, but wonderful book. Everybody's really going to enjoy it. And, and John, did you say it's been 15 years? Probably been 15 years, but for those of you who know James Arnold, Kozier <laughs> is his favorite author. And so he's been his main spring to keep his spiritual life sustained and all the ministry and missions that he's done. So everyone's in for a treat. Dave, I came in a little bit late, but did you share the anecdote about the authoring? I don't know that I did, so I'm going to please. So the, the story is told that uh, Tozier felt inspired to write this volume, returning from a speaking engagement and literally got down on his knees and rode it out on the train ride back to Chicago. I did not share that, nor did I know that. <laughs> but by the way, John, you, you've got such a, a, a depth. I mean, is there anything else you would you would add as it relates to Tozer and, and just things you might know that, that, I'm, that, that I'm not familiar with? No, you did a beautiful summary. The one thing that caught me this time was he's almost an exact contemporary of C.S. Lewis. Who also died in 63, who was born in 98. And so his ministry on this side of the Atlantic almost exactly paralleled that of Lewis on the other side. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's going to be kind of our August on, on Thursday nights. Uh, we'll post the links uh, on WhatsApp. And again, the encouragement is always, um, unlike our college days, don't procrastinate till the Wednesday night, the 5th and try to drive through three chapters. But it, it's, as Tozer said, it, it's something worth meditating on. It really is. My encouragement would be to start reading it and, and really praying through. Um, in fact, it's funny because I typically highlight in Kindle what moves me. And there's a couple of chapters, particularly chapter nine called The Meekness of God. I just found myself almost highlighting the whole chapter. I mean, I've, I've gone back to it. There is a prayer. The great thing about the way he wrote the book is at the end of every chapter, he has a prayer uh, that he prays through and that he has us as the audience pray through. And I've prayed that prayer at the end of chapter nine, 150 times. 
since I read it. it, it it's just, it's really been deeply impactful. So excited for it. And uh, John, anything, uh, anything that you would add about um, the COVID announcement or anything as we kind of pursue into the next few weeks? That's, that's all I had from a Tozer perspective. No, obviously we're disappointed at what feels a step backward. And so appreciate everyone's flexibility and preference as we are doing something we don't <laughs> desire to do, but yet it seems the wise. So let's just keep reaching out to one another, especially those that we're not seeing regularly on Zoom and other outlets and remembering one another, praying for one another, serving those that aren't able to come. And then let's petition our Lord that he allows us to regather in August and perhaps remain uninterrupted for the duration of the year. And so we can just petition our Lord to give us that ability to assemble again. And I guess if we're to look for a small silver lining in the clouds is that August 2nd, we're going to start meeting at 11 a.m. But now that we're going to be virtual until August 2nd, we will be meeting virtually at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings, which means your last 7 a.m. alarm clock to get ready for a Dina community service has ended. So if we're, if we're grasping for the positive, uh, we will now be sipping our coffee as we pray through and prepare ourselves for worship. And then we'll be coming together at 11 o'clock and my teenagers would be, would be raising hands at uh, this. They're very excited for a later service, but it's going to be pretty exciting. So. Alan, would you mind praying us to close tonight? And then again, we, we already miss each other and we long to be back together physically. Lawn ministry gives us the opportunity tomorrow. But until then, as John said, let's just keep loving each other well and uh, stay and encourage each other. And, and Alan, if you would close us, that would be wonderful. Sure. Father, we do give thanks for your tremendous and your tender mercies towards us. They are indeed new every morning. And Father, we need to be reminded of that. Um, some mornings we wake up and um, it is just hard to get going. And the mountain in front of us is big and the task is large and um, it's just tough. And as these days unfold, there's even more uncertainty. There's more um, just fear. And Father, we understand that that would not be the attitude that we should have, that we should indeed live day by day. We understand that you have told us, uh, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Each day has enough troubles of its own. And uh, so Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we have been able to gather in this medium uh, that we could just um, meet over iPads and computers and phones and be able to uh, just get a preface into a book that you've put on uh, the heart of a man and through your spirit have just written some beautiful things that are written five, six decades ago that have tremendous applicability to this church in this day. And so, Father, could you help us all just to get started reading and meditating and digesting this and um, as we add to our own daily disciplines of scripture and prayer and memory and things like that. Father, may we add to this just the reading of this book. And may you, through your spirit, just speak to us 
in a very profound way. And would you make us the better for this time together? Or just looking at uh, what you've put on the heart of this individual and what still speaks in this day. And Father, we do lift up those um, who are sick. Uh, we um, just ask, Father, your mercies on them. And Father, we hear that more is coming. And so would you help us who are well, who have the ability to know how to protect ourselves, but yet at the same time to reach out and to help those, Father, who are in need. Uh, help us to see our neighbor for who they are and help us to be sensitive and help us to know that um, you've put us in a position to help in whatever capacity, Father. Help us to be faithful in that. And help us, Father, to continue to prepare for a day when we can gather again together and just celebrate uh, your presence and your presence among us. And, Father, we look forward to that day. But until that day, Father, would you just watch over us, guide us, help us, and uh, be with us as we go 18 different directions just this evening. And help us, Father, always to come back to the cross. Help us to always come back to you. Help us to always have hearts of love and praise and thanksgiving to you. And it's in your son's name we'll pray and ask these things. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Thank you all for joining tonight.